Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Luckiest Peach Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Lucky Peach. Uh, we are back for another episode of Call to the Month. Um, I hope you're excited. This is the first one, I'm not going to lie. This is the first one that I'm, like, not entirely, like, into. Um, But it's okay. It'd be like that. Um, If you're new here, Colts of the Month is, uh, it happens monthly, uh, second week of every month uh, where I review a film that is considered a cult classic. Uh, in the past, we have done films such as Strictly Ballroom and Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, but this month, this month, um, I don't know why I chose this. I pre-selected this. My like my cult film choices, I, I already have a short list set up for that. So I picked this a long time ago. So I don't know why, but I did. It had been recommended to me a lot. Um so that might be why. I don't know, but you know what? We're here. We're here for Cults of the Month. Get excited. With that being said, this month's choice, if you haven't read the title, is An American Werewolf in London, released in 1981, uh, directed by John Landis. Um, if you if you are a viewer of the Nerdcore, I think we talked about John Landis the other day. Did we? Like, we were talking about uh was it twilight zone where like people died on set twilight zone deaths yes he is involved in that okay we did talk about john landis so that was it yeah uh by the time you're listening to this episode it will have been well over a week ago that we talked about john landis but for me at the time that i'm recording this uh, we just talked about it. Uh, I record at least a week early, so that way, if you're on Patreon at Patreon.com/LuckyPeach, you can get access to the podcast episodes a whole week early. A whole week early. Everyone else is going to be listening to Streaming Wars on August third. Here, if you're on Patreon at Patreon.com on August third, you're going to be listening to this. So. Thank you to my patrons at patreon.com slash peach. Anyways, <laughs> with that being said, um, also if you're new here, this is usually the shortest episode because it's just me uh, talking about movies and reviewing them. But it's okay. It'd be like that. Um, I don't have any reservations about how long I think episodes should be. You know, I talk until I'm done talking. So deal with it. Anyways. Getting right into it, um, I this is my favorite um, my favorite source to use of for this podcast is Wikipedia. It has been my favorite thing since middle school. I regularly use Wikipedia. You know, other people look up movies on IMDb. I look up movies on Wikipedia. I don't know what that says about me as a person or as a cinephile, but you know, if I want more specific details, then yes, I'll go to IMDb. But Going to Wikipedia is like second nature to me because I've been going to Wikipedia for 10 years for everything. One time in uh, in seventh grade, I was doing a project on Beowulf um, because for whatever reason, I thought it was part of, it was like 
we had to do a project on like a folktale from our um our culture like our heritage and i chose beowulf i don't even know i don't remember i just remember later on finding on that i don't am i like i wasn't a part of that heritage it's germanic yeah i'm not i actually recently um very recently i took a ancestry dna test because it was on sale um not really for no real reason because i know i'm white i know i'm an american mutt if you like that um but i just i was just curious to see what i was because my whole life my family was like you're german and irish um <laughs> so i got the test results back and you know like everyone in the family is different like my sister sent me hers hers are different than mine it's like that because like when you when you know when two people procreate there's like 16 different options probably more than that um it's a lot so you know even siblings that come from the same parents can be completely different from mine uh i don't think it comes from that part so anyways so like 38 percent of me um the majority of me is england and northwestern europe and 33 percent is scottish so i am uh I'm a colonizer. I mean, I knew that. I knew that. How do you think I ended up in America? But like, <laughs> uh, it's okay though. I, I, you know, I acknowledge that and I'm aware of that. I am educated about it. You know, I don't align with that. It is what it is. I can't help it. But, um, you know, I can do the best I can in my life to not be like that. And I do that. I, I, I make my best effort to be the best person I can be despite being from colonizer blood um so yeah that's what I got and then like 13% is Germanic Europe which isn't necessarily Germany it could mean anything because Germanic Europe ranges from like Germany areas down to like Italy and stuff because a good portion of Germanic Europe was part of the Roman um empire so, you know, and Germany itself wasn't an official country until, like, the 19th century. So, yeah, my sister was like, yeah, I'm mostly German. And, like, my Germanic Europe is 13%. Hers was 7 Bitch, what? Um, but, I mean, my sister's been going off about how we're German for her entire life. So, I, I don't... I... She's 34, so it's at the point where I'm just like, I don't even feel like correcting her. I'll just let her live her life in ignorance. Um, yeah, and then we got like 8% Welsh, 6% Swedish, and only 2% Irish. So I'm not as Irish as my family's been telling me. But for the most part, I'm like, is it called like the Northern Isles, the British Isles, and like Scandinavian that's fine though. You're finding me lobster, Angie. Um so you know, at least I can be like, hey, the Northmen, that's my heritage. <laughs> that's my shit. <laughs> G 
Gio, who's been a guest on the podcast a few times, uh, one time I had my hair braided and up, and he was like, you look like a Viking. And I'm, and I'm like, woohoo, okay. I mean, that's a different brand of colonizer, but uh, it, it's a touchy subject. I don't know. I'm here. I didn't choose to be born. That's all I can say. Uh, I didn't choose to be born, but you know what? I was born this way, so I'm going to educate myself and not be a piece of shit. <sighs> Getting back to the <laughs> How did we get here? This is me spiraling and then not knowing how I spiraled. Welcome to my life. Um, I most likely have undiagnosed ADHD. I've uh, In the last six months, I have noticed uh, habits that I have that very much aligned with ADHD, but you know, I don't have money for a psychiatrist to get evaluated. So cheers to that. I'm currently drinking a uh, watermelon Red Bull. I'm not a fan of artificial watermelon flavoring usually because um, I'm a watermelon purist. It's my favorite fruit. Um, and a lot of times, artificial watermelon flavoring tastes disgusting it's not good and it's like enough to make you throw up at least for me it's too sweet um so but this is actually good one time like a year and a half ago almost two years ago um i went to a margarita festival with my coworkers, and i got this i spent a lot of fucking money i also lost money because somebody tripped on the plug for the ATM as I was at the ATM. <sighs> and uh, so like, it, like it was like it, it, they tripped on the plug and the, it, you know, it unplugged and turned off the ATM as I like hit withdraw. So like in between me hitting withdrawal and the cash coming out. So I net the cash never came out cause it shut off. Then they turned it on. Nothing happened. Um, and then the owner of the, the ATM machine was like, yeah, just wait, you know, the money will come back in your bank account. It never did. Um, such is life. Never did anything about it. I probably should have. I definitely should have. It's $40 right there just down the drain. Um, but I was not as financially, um, I was not as broke then as I am now. So I don't know. Uh, but knowing the butterfly effect, maybe that is the reason I'm so broke right now. But yeah, anyways, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is um, one of my coworkers and I, we got these uh, watermelon margaritas. We were on the rocks. Most of them were on the rocks. Uh, but it was like half of a personal watermelon that had been like shelled out. And then like that was full of margarita. So like it was like three margaritas and one. It was large. Did not drink all of it because it was artificially flavored. Like it tasted like Jolly Ranchers. And I almost threw up because of the sweetness. Um, not because of the alcohol, but because it was too damn sweet. I don't do sweet drinks that often. And by, by sweet drinks, I mean like alcohol. But anyways, we got off topic again. I don't know how, but you know, we're here. Life be like that. Anyways, uh, yeah, so <laughs> American Werewolf in London. Um, so, yeah, it stars uh, David Naughton, uh, Jenny 
uh, Gutter, uh, Guter, uh, Griffin Dunn, John Woodvine, Don McKillop, Brian Glover, David Schofield, Lila Kay, and uh, just a bunch of random names for the extras. This is like one of those movies. Like, I noticed this about like older movies and like low budget movies is like they'll put the entire cast on Wikipedia just about. And normally in most movies, they just put like the main cast and supporting cast. So, I mean, I guess props props for that but like why why not the other ones I joke because especially big movies they have a fuck ton of extras um yeah so we have John Landis as the director and the writer uh producers are George Folsey Jr. Peter Goober and John Peters um Elmer Bernstein is the composer uh cinematography is Robert Pate paint or painter but it's spelled like pay pay p-a-y-n-t-e-r painter the fuck i don't like english <laughs> that reminds me one time when i worked at mcdonald's a few years ago when i was 18 like five years ago actually now um this kid walked in uh like a teenager and he ordered right and he goes do y'all have apple pay thought he said apple pie so i turn around and i see the apple pie and i'm like yeah we have apple pie <laughs> i thought he was just saying apple pie really weird so i charged him for one <laughs> and then he paid with apple pay and i was like oh shit that's what he meant so anyways he got an apple pie because i thought he meant apple pay oh not my proudest moment um i only worked there for two weeks because it was uh, it was hell it was absolute hell. Anyways, uh, yeah. So, just go straight into it. I, I keep saying let's go straight into it, and then I go into another fucking anecdote about nothing. <sighs> Anyways, the plot of the movie, as we do in these episodes. I, like, why am I acting like I don't know how to do this? Like, this is my first time recording these. Anyways, um, so yeah, the plot of the movie is uh, two American backpackers from New York City, David Kessler and Jack Goodman, are trekking across the moors in Yorkshire. As night falls, they stop at a local pub called the Slaughtered Lamb. Jack notices a five-pointed star on the wall, but when he asks about it, the pub goers become hostile. The pair decide to leave, and the pub goers warn them to keep, on the, keep to the road, stay clear of the moors, and beware of the full moon. David and Jack end up wandering off the road onto the moors and are attacked by a vicious creature, as Americans do, because we are stupid. Um, Jack is mauled to death and David is injured. The beast is shot and killed by some pub some of the pope-goers who came out searching for the boys. Instead of a dead animal, David sees the corpse of a naked man lying next to him before passing out. David wakes up three weeks later in a hospital in London. He is interviewed by police inspector Villiers, 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 uh, who tells him that he and Jack were attacked by an escaped lunatic, but David insists that they were attacked by some sort of rabid dog or wolf. An undead Jack appears to David and explains that the beast that attacked them was a werewolf and reveals that David is now one. 
Jack urges David to kill himself before the next full moon, not only because Jack is cursed to linger undead for as long as the bloodline of the werewolf that attacked them survives, but also to prevent David from inflicting the same fate on anyone else. Dr. Hirsch takes a road trip to the slaughtered lamb to see if what David has told him is true. When asked about the incident, the pub goers deny any knowledge of David, Jack, or the attack. However, one distraught pub goer speaks to Dr. Hirsch outside the pub. It says that David should not have been taken away and that everyone else will be in danger when he transforms. Upon his release from intensive care, Dave, David moves in with Alex Price, a young nurse who grew infatuated with him in the hospital. He stays in Alex's luncheon apartment where they later have sex. Jack, in a more advanced stage of decay, appears to David to warn him that he will become a werewolf the next night. Jack again advises David to take his own life to avoid killing innocent people, but David refuses to believe him. When the full moon rises, David painfully transforms from his human form into a werewolf. David, now in werewolf form, prowls the streets and the London underground, killing and slaughtering six people in the process. He wakes up the next morning naked on the floor of a wolf enclosure at the London Zoo with no recollection of what happened, and manages to make his way back to Alex's apartment. After realizing that he became a werewolf and was responsible for the previous night's murders, David unsuccessfully attempts to get himself arrested at Trafalgar Square. Square. Um, he goes to Piccadilly Circus, calling his family from a phone booth to say that he loves them, then loses courage when he attempts and fails to slit his own wrists with a pocket knife. David sudden then suddenly sees Jack in a yet more advanced stage of decay outside of an adult movie theater. Inside, Jack is accompanied by David's victims from the previous night, most of whom were furious with David and suggest different methods for him to commit suicide. David transforms again into a werewolf inside the movie theater. He decapitates Inspector Villiers and wreaks havoc in the streets, causing the deaths of many drivers and bystanders. He is ultimately trapped and surrounded in an alleyway by the police. Alex runs down the alleyway in an attempt to calm David by telling him that she loves him. Although David's consciousness appears to recognize her for a brief moment, he lunges forward and is shot by police. Alex cries while staring at David, reverted to human form, lying dead and naked on the ground. Haha! <laughs> there it is! American dumbass goes to London and fucks shit up! Haha! <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. So the runtime is 97 minutes. Um, like, it's a lengthy plot, but it is, it is a good, like, 90-minute movie. Um, well, 97, but generally speaking, it's 90. Um, so yeah, it, um, the budget was 5.8 million. It made 62 million. Normally, cult classics are, they, like, they flop initially. In, um, in, um, like in, in theaters and then eventually they garner the following that they have but this actually did very very well when it released um i mean it was released by universal um a critical and commercial success um it won the 1981 saturn award for best horror film and the first academy award for best makeup um so since it's released it's become a cool classic there's a sequel called an american werewolf in paris I'll be honest, I'm not interested in watching that because I assume it's going to be the same plot as this one, just in Paris with some wee-wees. So, um, not interested. I also just like 
it's not that I didn't like this movie or that I didn't enjoy it. It just didn't, didn't grasp me. Like, I wasn't fully into it. I wasn't fully feeling it. What did I give in on Letterboxd? I guess I should reveal that at the end of the episode. Um, hi, welcome back to me planning episodes as I'm recording. <laughs> but yeah, so like, it, it's... That makes me wonder, like, what considers a cult classic, because in the past, and like, generally speaking, it is a film that is initially a box office flop, and then garners following. But this clearly made a lot of its money back, um, as well as, like, it won a fucking Oscar. So, like... Like, you know, it, it's it's questioning to be honest um but but also like being classic means it has like a big following um of dedicated fans so maybe that's it but then there's also like a bunch of dedicated fans to like other things but that aren't considered like cults or classics so like truly i mean obviously it's it's subjective so like there shouldn't like obviously there's not gonna be one specific definition of what what makes a film a cool classic, but like it is it's a question I have that I wonder what makes a cool classic film? Let me know. <laughs> what do y'all think makes a cool classic? Please let me know because I am I am a little baffled right now. Um yeah, so um, John Landis, he came up with the story uh, while he worked in Yugoslavia as a production assistant on the film Kelly's Heroes. Uh, he and a Yugoslav member of the crew were driving in the back of a car in location when they came across a group of, um, I'm not going to say that, that's a slur for the Romani people, came across a group of Romani people. Uh, they appeared to be performing rituals on a man being buried so that he would not rise from the grave. This made Landis realize he would never be able to confront the undead. I gave him an the idea for a film in which a man go through the same thing. That's kind of fucked up now that I know that. First of all, for Wikipedia using that word, um, and also the fact that like John Landis was like, hey, there's a group of Romani people doing, you know, one of their cultural practices. That's funny. That's weird. I'm going to write a movie about how I feel about that. What? What? He is a white, an old white man. So, like, I guess it makes sense. He looks like he would be fucked up in the head. He's 70. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> so, I'm recording this on August 2nd. He turns 71 on August 3rd. <laughs> Uh, oh god oh, okay so his his um his uh uh his filmography includes the bruce the blues brothers michael jackson music videos uh animal house three amigos coming to america trading places twilight zone the movie what else is he directed uh Oh, he did not direct Clue. Yeah, I was about to say. Came up with this story. Who directed Clue? Jonathan Lynn. I don't know who that is. 
I love Clue, though. That is a good classic. Maybe we'll do an episode on that sometime in the future. Um, Beverly Hills Cop 3. Um, um, the Lost World. Uh, based on the Arthur Conan Doyle novel. Oh, he was a producer. God damn it. Fucking. He hasn't directed anything since 2010. Um, oh, never mind. He's, wait. He's on TV since. He hasn't directed a film. Yeah, that, I think, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that backstory, but it says a lot. It says a lot. As I talked about me being light earlier, it says a lot. I'm not surprised. Disappointed, but not surprised. Um, yeah, so he wrote the first draft of the script in 1969 and shelved it for over a decade. Uh, two years later, Landis wrote, directed, and starred in his debut film, Schlock, which developed a cult following as well. Uh, he then developed box office status in Hollywood through the successful comedy films, the Kentucky Fried Movie, Animal House, and the Blues Brothers, uh, before securing $10 million financing from Polygram Pictures for his werewolf movie. Uh, financiers believed that Landis's script was too frightening to be a comedy and too funny to be a horror film. But guess what? Movies can be both. Duh. Uh... <laughs> Um, according to Entertainment Weekly, the real star of this uh, the, the real star of this film is the Oscar-winning transformation effects by Rick Baker, which changed the face of horror makeup in the 1980s. That is true. That is the best scene in the entire movie when uh, David first transforms. It like the just the effects of it are incredible. It's like not only the makeup, but like the way that it's shot. Like, you wouldn't expect that from a film, like, from the 80s. Like, because a few years later, you get, like, Teen Wolf with, like, well, Teen Wolf was just a straight-up comedy. But, like, the makeup in that, you're just like, uh, like, it looks very close to, like, the original Planet of the Apes. But this shit looks wild. Like, and, and the way that it's on screen, it's, like, it reminds me of how I felt watching Child's Play for the first time, seeing that they were using an actual, like, puppet that could move its hand the way that it did. I was like, that's some good shit right there. That practical effects shit, that's some sh good shit. That's some good practical effects. I'm a slut for some good practical effects. Um, so that scene is incredible. I loved that. Um, yeah. So filming took place between February and March in 1981 because uh, he wanted... The film to take place during poor weather. Um, the Moors were filmed around the Black Mountains in Wales, and East Proctor is in the re is in reality the tiny village of Crickadarn. Crickadarn, what the fuck is that? England? Am I pronouncing that right? Anyways, I don't care. Um, about six miles southeast of both Wales. Wales. Why do you gotta have confusing ass words? This is why I don't like English. No wonder it's the hardest fucking language. Uh, anyways, the Angel of Death statue was a prop addict for the film, but the red phone booth box is real. Um, though the Welsh road signs were covered by a fake tree. American Werewolf in London, but it's filmed in Wales. God damn. 
anyways, um, <laughs> uh, the pub shown in the film known as the Slaughter Lamb was actually a cottage located in Crickadarn. Uh, I am most definitely pronouncing that wrong with the way, knowing the way that like Welsh works, but like, I, again, I don't care. Um, uh, and the interior scenes were filmed at, in the Black Swan, Old Lane, Martyr Green, in Surrey. Uh, it was the first film allowed to shoot in Piccadilly Circus in 15 years. Uh, Landis accomplished this by inviting 300 members of London's Metropolitan Police Service to a screening of his then newly released film, The Bruce Brothers. The Blues Brothers. Uh, the police were so impressed by his work that they granted the production of a two-night filming permit between the hours of 1 and 4 a.m. Traffic was stopped only three times for two-minute increments to film the automobile stunts involving the double-decker bus. Other filming locations include Putney General Hospital, Chiswick Maternity Hospital, Redcliffe Square, and Earl's Court, the area around Tower Bridge, uh, Tottenham Court Road Underground Station, the London Zoo, Putney High Street, Belgravia, and Southwark. Southwark. How far I know? I don't, I don't fucking know. I don't like English, man. Um, uh, filming also took place at Twickenham Film Studios in Richmond, up to, up upon Thames. Why, why, why do the British and the Welsh have to have the most confusing fucking words? Why, like? We've already established that English is the hardest language, even for native English speakers such as myself. Um, but, and like, part of that is because of how many different dialects there are of it, depending on the country. But specifically, in Great Britain, in Wales. What the fuck? What? Like, I don't feel bad talking shit about it. First of all, because that's my blood. But also, as we established earlier, but also, like, it's a white country. So, like, I don't fucking care. I will regularly, I will, I will continue to regularly partake in uh, white on white crime. Uh, such as talking shit about Welsh words. <laughs> anyways, anyways, so, um. It does have a good uh, commentary, I'm not, com not commentary, um, um, uh, score, uh, soundtrack. Um, the film's ironically a B soundtrack consists of songs which refer to the moon. We love that. On the nose, very on the nose. Uh, Bobby Vinton's slow, soothing version of Blue Moon plays during the opening credits. Van Morrison's Moon Dance plays as David and Alex make love for the first time. Creedence Clearwater Revival's Bad Moon Rising plays as David nears the moment of changing to the werewolf. A soft, bittersweet ballad version of Blue Moon by Sam Cooke plays during the agonizing wolf transformation. And the Marcel's doo-wop version of Blue Moon plays over the end credits. The score was composed and conducted by Elmer Bernstein and recorded at Olympic Studios in London, engineered by Keith Grant. Uh, Bernstein's score can be heard during David's nightmares when Dr. Hirsch arrives, drives through the moors to East Proctor, when Alex confronts David in the alley. Though Bernstein wrote and recorded music to accompany the transformation scene, the director chose not to use it. Uh, the three-minute passage was eventually released by Bernstein under the title Metamorphosis. I was about to say, that shit should be released, just so we know the, the stuff that wasn't put in the movie. Then he did, and it's called Metamorphosis. Go look it up. I haven't listened to it. I'm just now learning this. 
<laughs> um, yeah, so there's no information that I see about its theatrical run. I guess all we know is that it made a lot, a lot of fucking money. Um, yeah, so... Oh my god, they released it on Betamax. Rip. Um, <laughs> um, so, in the box office, uh, it was released on August 21st, 1981. It grossed 30 million at the box office in the US and 62 million worldwide uh, against a budget of 5.8. Um, it has approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes of 88% and an average rating of 7.8 out of 10. Um, on on the peach peach meter, I have given it three out of five peaches. Like, I enjoyed it to an extent, but like I wasn't fully grasped by it. But like, it is a good movie. I will acknowledge that. And you know, the makeup and special effects of the werewolf change scenes are incredible. Um, uh, Roger Ebert, as you all know, we hate Roger Ebert here at the Luckiest Beach, but we're going to read what he said because apparently his opinion is all that matters because it's on every fucking Wikipedia article. Um, he said he gave it two out of four stars and stated that an American werewolf in London seems curiously unfinished as if director John Landis spent all his energy on spectacular set pieces and they didn't want it to bother with things like transitions, character development, or an ending. What? It, what do you mean it didn't have see yeah this is why we don't like Roger Ebert because um clearly it did have an ending he died that's the ending he fucking died he ended the curse he died anyways um fuck Roger Ebert um yeah so at the 54th Academy Awards it won uh the first Academy Award for Best Makeup uh it won Best Horror Film and Best Makeup Saturn Awards, as well as nominated for Best Actress and Best Writing. Um, um, yeah. I will say, when, like, when David first meets Alex, you're like, she's a nurse. So, like, she's trying to get him to eat, and he doesn't want to eat because, like, he's a werewolf. He's like, I don't need to eat that. I want, want to eat people, you know? And um, she's like, you need to eat so you can take your meds. He's like, I'm not hungry. And he's like, she's like, I'm going to stay here until you eat. Do I have to feed you? And like, she starts flirting with them. I'm like, is she flirting with them to get him to eat? Or is she actually flirting with them? It's like one of those things of like, is she fucking with them? Because, you know, like, she's a nurse. So I'm like, maybe, you know, professionalism, right? Uh, but no, she actually was flirting with him because there's a whole sex scene. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, is... Uh, appreciated as a milestone in the committee, co committee, comedy horror genre for its innovative makeup, innovative makeup effects. Um, it's the first mainstream hit, or the Daily Telegraph calls it the first mainstream hit, which managed to make its gross out effects simultaneously shocking and hilarious, uh, and called the signature werewolf transformation scene stunningly ingenious without a computer effect in sight, but also suffused with squirm-inducing agony. Um, yeah, yeah, I really, I really like the, the practical effects and, like, the concept of horror comedy, um, because it, it honestly works, like, it's, it can still creep you out, but, like, be funny, like, but then also it leads to, like, 
bad horror movies that try to bring in like a uh, comic relief and it just does not go over well like don't you're barely putting your foot in the comedy don't don't do that go all in or don't go in at all okay okay you're either gonna make a comedy horror or you're not you're not gonna dip your toe in the water okay you can't have a bite you can't have just a bite not just a crumb anyways um (laughs) Um, yeah, so I'm reading, uh, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So Michael Jackson, uh, was a fan of the film, uh, and he chose John Landis afterwards and, uh, Rick Baker for makeup, uh, for his 1983 thriller music video. That makes a lot of fucking sense. That makes a lot of sense. If you've seen the thriller music video, you know, you know, like it that makes sense that it's like in a way not inspired by an American Werewolf in London, but like kind of is. Um, yeah, and it went on to become one of the most lauded music videos of the whole time. Yeah, everyone knows that fucking music video. Uh John Landis expressed regret over changing and even cutting certain sequences from the final cut of the film in order to earn an R rating in the United States. Uh, the sex scene was Alex and David with between Alex and David was edited to be less explicit and an extended scene showing the homeless men along the Thames being attacked by the werewolf was eliminated after a test audience reacted negative and negatively to it. Uh, another showed the undead Jack eating a piece of toast, which falls out of his torn throat. That would have been cool to see. Uh, Landis also concluded that the werewolf transformation scene should have been shorter he was so fascinated by the quality of Rick Baker's effects that he spent more time on the scene than he otherwise would have. I'm going to disagree with John Landis. Like, I know he's the director. This is his movie, but I'm going to disagree with him. I'm okay with, like, the cuts that he made, with the exception of Jack eating the toast. I think that would have been cool to add. But uh, we didn't, we don't need, no. What? What is, what is with old white men saying, I wish I could have made this sexy more explicit? What? We don't need that. We don't need that. We really don't. We really don't. Shut up, straight white man. Anyways, so a radio adaptation of the film was also broadcast on BBC Radio 1 in 97. Um, what else? Uh, as, as I mentioned before, it was followed by a sequel, An American Werewolf in Paris, also, uh, also released in 97. Uh, it features a completely different uh, cast and crew and was distributed by uh, Disney's Hollywood Pictures. So by Disney. So that means it was distributed by Disney. Does that mean it's on Disney Plus? Y'all think this movie, y'all think an American Werewolf in Paris is on Disney Plus. How long is it? 102. Oh, fuck that, man. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, in 2009, a retrospective documentary film, Beware the Moon Remembering, an American Werewolf in London, was released. Uh, and an accompanying book by the documentary's director, Paul Davis, was published in 2016. Uh, in 2009, it was announced that Dimension Films were working with producer Sean and Brian First 
on a remake of the film. Uh, this has since been delayed due to other commitments. In August 2016, several reports suggested that Max Landis, John Landis's son, was considering remaking the film. And in November 2016, Deadline Hollywood reported that Max Landis would write and direct a remake. Uh, in December 2017, Max Landis confirmed on Twitter that he had completed the first draft of the script. But beginning in late 2017, accusations by a number of women that Landis had abused them emotionally or sexually began to emerge publicly. In the wake of those allegations, it remains unknown if Landis will be replaced or the project will be put on indefinite hold. Um, in November, I, you know what? I think it should be on put. First of all, we don't need remakes of everything. We don't. Stop remaking everything. For the love of God, stop remaking everything. Second, I stand with those women. So, you know what? Fuck you, John Landis. Fuck you, Max Landis. I, I mean, like, the fact that I, like, when I look, like, I think it was clear from the beginning of this episode that I'm not a fan of John Landis. Like, I don't like him <laughs> on a personal level. Uh, first of all, with his involvement in the Twilight Zone murders. And then the whole him being inspired by the fact that they call it a ritual and it's like it's a cultural I mean it is a ritual but like it's a cultural thing it's not like it, it, it like the way that this article phrases it uh insinuates like a fear aspect um and like some exoticism um but it's a cultural aspect of the Romani people and it uses slur um so John Lamb's being inspired by that now him and his son apparently being pieces of shit um not surprised. Anyways, uh, November 2019, Variety reported that Robert Kirkman, creator of the Walking Dead comic book series, was in consideration to serve as a producer for a new reboot of An American Werewolf in London. No. 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 Please, no. So anyways, I guess it's still eventually happening, but I think it should be put on hold. Indefinite hold. It should not happen. It should not happen. Should not happen. But yeah, anyways, um, that's an American Werewolf in London. Um, let me know what you thought of it. I have some friends that really like this movie. I wasn't a big fan of it, to be honest. I didn't hate it, but not a big fan of it. Um, and as we've learned through this episode, I don't like John Landis now. So, fuck you, John Landis. I'm not telling you happy birthday tomorrow. Um, <laughs> that man has no idea who I am. <laughs> um, anyways, <laughs> but that wraps it up for an American werewolf in London. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to me ramble about nothing again for the 19th time. Um, next week we will be reaching episode 20 and then we'll be on the road to 30. Um, and so on. Um, so yeah, um, next week you can join me. As uh, and, and Raul is coming back again. Um, we're gonna review the Green Knight. Um, so be there for that, please. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, there's that. Um, you can find me everywhere at Lucky Peach, L V C K Y Peach. Uh, if you go to any of my socials, you can find a link tree that will take you to my Twitter, my Instagram, my TikTok, Patreon, patreon.com slash Lucky Peach. Letterbox, YouTube, Twitch, all those good things. Um, I mean, you again, my my um, username is the same everywhere, Lucky Peach. Um, but there is a link tree on all of those platforms just to make it easier for you guys to find me elsewhere. 
Um, with that being said, thank you to all the listeners, especially thank you to the amount of listeners I have on YouTube that I keep forgetting to check my views on YouTube. Not gonna lie. Um, but I really do appreciate you. Uh, um, I, I hope you guys have a good day. I will see you next week. Thank you. To, uh, thank you to my patrons, Brad, Gio, Abby, and Luis. Love you guys. Uh, if you want to join the Patreon at patreon.com slash peach, you get early access to episodes as well as video access to the episodes a whole week early as well as some other goodies. So uh, be sure to check that out. Uh, again, I'll see you all next week. Stay peachy.